All right, let's do this. We're going to start a new sermon series this week, um, and this is going to kind of be something that we're going to use to lead us through the season of Lent. Anybody know that Lent started this past? We have not made a big situation about Lent this particular year. We have done that in the past, but not this year. But uh, Lent started this past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, and uh, I want to. I, what I want to do is kind of use. I want to use the seven I am's of Christ in the gospel of John. So I chose this intentionally very cheesy graphic. I love it. And you're going to love it too. Look how wonderful this, this is just straight out of either um, Sunday school or just really bad um, Microsoft paint or something along those lines. In the gospel of John, Jesus uses this phrase, I am, seven times, right? So if you kind of start at the very top at, say, 12 o'clock, the first one that he says is, I am the bread of life, right? And then three o'clock, I am the light of the world. Look at those two icons just put next to one another. That just really conveys deep meaning. And then in chapter 11, say down there at about five o'clock, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, at six o'clock, I am the good shepherd. Uh, I am the, the door for the sheep. And then he also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he talks about being the true vine. So he uses these seven statements. And just to kind of establish kind of the basis of the series, when Jesus says this, this, these kind of seven statements, we know the number in the scriptures of seven is to be this number of perfection, right? So when John records these seven statements, He's saying something. What is the number of perfection for us in our culture? Number of perfection in our culture. Yeah. What's perfect? A perfect? Ten. Ten. Here we go. Look at Mary Lou Retton right there. Just, we're just, I mean, I know the Olympics, it was a Winter Olympics, but I thought we'd remember, I don't, what was this, 1922? Oh, 86. Okay. She hit a perfect 10 in her routine. 84, and uh, we know the number of perfection to be 10. If somebody said, man, that is a perfect 10, right? We would understand, or if somebody said, man, that is a 10, we would understand that that's perfect. Like that thing is, so when John, when John includes these seven numbers, they're, they're perfect. And then this, this phrase, I am, I put, you'll see this word name, and I think I even started here at the beginning with, with this word name in quotation marks, right? Because when, we, and I'm going to get to, to how we understand name, because we have an idea for name, but it's not what God is using for the word name. So when we get to Jesus saying this, right, I am, he is hearkening back to the name of God. Got it? So combine those two things together, right, the number of perfection, the quote-unquote name of God, Jesus is making, and, and the gospel of John, John is emphasizing this. We've just come off this series of the Trinity, but John and Jesus are emphasizing this meshing of Jesus's divine nature, that he is God incarnate, that he is the one that, who's able to say, I am, right? And then he attaches um, these, beautiful, these beautiful images to it, bread and light, and resurrection, and shepherd, and vine, and way, and truth, and life. He attaches these beautiful images to really help us understand. Because when God gives his name, I am, in the Old Testament, we kind of, again, we look at that name, and we're like, ah, that doesn't really make sense. Jesus, Jesus 
explains it to us. He, he brings this picture in like 7D, so to speak. So where do I want to go next? I thought it would be fun as we talk about names just to get our minds going a little bit this morning. I was like, I wonder what, did you guys look at the top, the top names of 2020 when you were thinking about names? But it had no bearing. Let's take a quick look at the top names. Since you guys had a baby in 2021. No, 2022. It's not that old yet. Here were the top names, ladies and gentlemen, of 2021. Baby names. On the left is the boy. Sorry, they're a little bit small. Some of these are. I, mean, I, got, I got this from Arlo, Kai, Atticus. Silas, now there's a good biblical name. See, we're getting the meat of it right now. Silas, Theodore, Rowan, Finn, Milo, Felix, Soren. I forget where I got this reference, but these are some of the top boy names. And then the top girl names, Eloise, Aurelia. Did I say that right? Aurelia? Ava, Rose. Come on, somebody give me a little hand on that. I can't even. Mav, Maeve. Maeve, Esme, Eleanor, Imogen Heap, <laughs> for, those, for those fans, Aurora, and Ophelia. There you go. There's, there's the names. I just wanted us to kind of... like dog and cat names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think any of those names are cu- currently on Robin and I's list, but... Um, oh, that's right. Theodore is. But it won't... I don't... If it is a boy, it is going to be James Theodore. After my, my dad's name is Theodore, Ted. He's not happy? He didn't like Theodore. He didn't like Theodore? <laughs> just give him some of those muffins out there. That'll, that'll, get, him, that'll get him rolling. Um, so I was just thinking about names. And the thing about names, too, is when we use names, for the most part, they're placeholders, right? They're, they're not identity signifiers. So, for example, what I mean by that is, if I were to change my name from Eric to Fred, like you guys would not, or if I were to change it from Eric to, to Paul or whatever, you wouldn't look at me any differently. It wouldn't change, so to speak, my identity, who I am. It's just kind of a placeholder. It's something that you use to address me. It doesn't speak to any deep identity. Now, I would say occasionally when we think about names in our culture, right, there could be some added significance or identity to a name, right? Like you guys named your son. His middle name is after your grandfather, right? We were, wanted to do family names. Some people, um, they kind of go the like, um, the Robert Glisson the first, Robert Glisson the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the junior, the, you know, all the way down the line. Sometimes people say, you are part of this great line of Eric and Eric Jr. and Eric Jr. Jr. And people, people sometimes add, significance or identity you guys named some of your kids after uh, I don't want to say characters in the Bible but characters in the Bible right and that is significant as you my dad said that my middle name John was he had, was reading the Bible at one point and he said he, he was really moved by the name John and he said Eric your middle name John refers to John the Baptist refers to uh, some passages in the scripture but for the most part in our culture names are kind of simply placeholders Right? Um, quick time out, because at least you know about this right now. Everybody be quiet for one second. Do you hear that? 
Okay, yesterday with all the wind, we have like one of those little twirly things on the roof. Have we ever experienced this noise before in our church? Like all of a sudden it just started working. And in the middle, of, like it was like, because it was really windy yesterday. So it was going, wee, 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 wee. And everyone's like looking around like, and I'm like, oh man, our church. <laughs> so I went up there in the middle of the church, in the middle of the seminar yesterday. Like I kind of snuck out. I climbed up onto the roof. I lodged a hammer and an adjustable wrench into it so it wouldn't move anymore. But anyway, that's the noise. There's not birds or rats or anything crawling ready to descend on you. It's one of those whirly things, and it's just got a little bit of a wonkiness to it. And I'll, I'll need to get up there and figure it out. But if you're kind of wondering... Well, you know, I didn't have any WD-40, so I tried spraying furniture polish because that's the only lubricant that I had. <laughs> so I do need to get up there with some sort of WD-40 or something. But yeah, it just kind of, it's just a little off-centered and you hear the, mm, mm, mm. anyway, back to the names. And if you have a Bible, Exodus chapter three, that was a good place to pause because we're going to go to Exodus three. Because before we get to Jesus speaking about these names, I am, right? Using this phrase, I am, I want us to encounter it when it was first used by, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> if that does not keep him happy for the next, all right. You know what's funny? I was like doing coffee and making stuff back there. I'm like, why do we even have this thing anymore? <laughs> the, Lord, the Lord works in mysterious ways. There we go. Exodus 3. So before we get to Jesus using this name, I am, I, I want us to look at it. As, as it was originally used, um, or its its primary use. Um, so that phrase Exodus, um, not that phrase Exodus. That chap, that that book Exodus, the Israelites are oppressed, right? Uh, it's been four hundred years, and the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. We have the birth of Moses. We have Moses committing murder. He flees to Midian. Um, we come to chapter three, he's a shepherd in, in the desert, and he encounters the burning bush, and this is where we're going to see God speaking this name. And listen, we all know this is a kid-friendly church, don't worry about the noise, don't worry about the, the rattle, not nothing. The only thing you might have to worry about is Brooks looks like he's getting awfully jealous over there. He's like wondering, there might be a little battle. <laughs> there might be a little battle royale going on, or maybe we can put them both in there and see how it works out. So again, don't worry about it. We're, we're good. Chapter 3, uh, Exodus chapter 3, the story of Moses, the burning bush. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face 
because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And here's this, this phrase, and maybe you see how it reads in your Bible. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Moses. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Um, before I get into, I want to just do two things. I want to show a little bit of where we're talking about because I was fascinated by some of the geography and then I want to talk a little bit about th- these verses. But obviously, Moses, the prince of Egypt, we've all seen the Disney movie. He was, I mean, he was in Egypt somewhere a- along the Nile. Um, again, he kills the Egyptian, right? He flees. He ends, up, he ends up somewhere probably down here, right? He flees down to this desert. Um, he's tending sheep. It's been 40 years that he's been tending sheep. Um, the Bible says that he's out there tending sheep and he encounters this burning bush. How many people, when you close your eyes, what do you see? Where is that burning bush located? What do you see? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Yeah, like what do you see when you close your eyes and you see the burning bush? What, what images come to your mind? Desert, flock of sheep. Yeah. That, and that's good, Chris, because as long as I've been studying the Bible, when I close my eyes and I see Moses encountering this burning bush, I see like a, a small bush, just Sahara-level sand all over the place, and you have this random bush coming up out of the ground, and I'm thinking, I, I learned something new this week, right? This is kind of the image that I would, I would think of, right? Like here's just desolate nothing around, and there's this burning bush. What's fascinating about what the Bible says where this burning bush is, is it's at Mount Horeb. And I'm thinking like, well, I don't really know where that place is. This is some pictures of Mount Horeb. This is kind of probably more the image of what Moses would have encountered with this this burning bush. Um, Again, if you go back to this map image, you're kind of down here in this this very bottom portion. Now, we we don't know in the sense of like, hey, this is exactly the, the crosshairs, the coordinates where we could go. Most scholars have kind of put Mount Sinai down in this region, Mount Horeb also, right? So you can go there today. There's this monastery that's kind of at the base of the mountain, right? Um, the mountain today is actually called Jebel Musa, 
right? Mountain, Musa, Moses, right? This kind of mountain of Moses. This monastery um, is, is a functional monastery. From this monastery, there is, this is just some stuff, I'm just going to read it here. There is 3,700 steps that were carved by a monk. They're known as the steps of repentance. And the path kind of leads you up the mountain, right? And at the top of the mountain, there is a, this chapel that's dedicated uh, to the Virgin Mary, right? There's the spring of Moses that you would kind of pass along the way. There's the spring of Elijah, where Elijah is said to have hidden um, while he's running from Jezebel. But again, you have this chapel. You have all these things. It's, it's really a fascinating place. I think our next camping trip, Dietra, if you can arrange this, our next camping trip should be in the southern portion of Sinai to go visit. 3,700 steps from this monastery, right? And I couldn't find, like, I was like, oh, let's, you know, find a, somebody who did it with a GoPro or something like that. I couldn't find that. But from this monastery, you climb up the mountain, you end up at this chapel, um, you pass these different, these kind of different locations. But yeah, you, when the interesting thing that I learned again, because my mind goes, okay, Moses, there you are in the middle of the desert. Moses is encountering this bush by Mount Horeb. We know it more famously as Mount Sinai, right? It's where God later reveals to Moses, right? So he gives Moses the word at the burning bush. Moses goes back into Egypt, liberates the Israelites, leads the Israelites out. And it's, this is the place then where God then chooses to reveal his law, his 10 commandments to um, reveal his word to the people. Right. So it was, it was really just something for me to think about. It's like, okay, God, you sent him there. They come back. This is, this is kind of this very special place um, where you chose to reveal your word. Actually in this picture right here, I think you can kind of see in the bottom, it looks like there's some, some sort of path. This is kind of all in the same area. But it, again, it wasn't just Moses kind of walking out in the desert. He was up in this region as the shepherd. So, um, the, the paradigm, the matrix that I want to use for this, and I want to use it for the rest of this series, is two questions and two answers. And we'll, we'll circle back to these questions over the next couple I am statements um, of, of Jesus. The first one is, who am I, right? This is 311 when Moses says, who am I? And then God responds by saying, I am with you. And then the second question is, Moses asks God, he says, yeah, but if I go back and tell these people, like, who are you, God? Like, who are you, right? To which, in this portion, God responds simply by saying, I am, okay? Who am I? I am with you. Who are you? I am. And again, I want to use this kind of as a paradigm for us to kind of look through over the next seven statements that Jesus uses, these I am statements of bread and light and shepherd and vine. And um, I want to use this kind of for us to, to, to think through these four questions because I think that these are really four essential questions for us as we understand what God is doing in our lives and in our community. Who am I? To understand I am with you. Who are you, God? And then to understand God's response to that. So the first one comes out of Exodus 3.11. Again, let's read this one more time. 
Moses said to God, right? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Um, when, God, when Moses asks this question in, in 311, uh, Brian, this, one, this reference is for you. I don't know how many Zoolander references. Anybody like a Zoolander fan? Yeah? Okay. So, you watched it yesterday? Oh, Lord, have mercy. You, you're divine. It is so wonderful, right? So he has this existential crisis moment here of like, who am I? Right? And then he stares into this, this mirror or this uh, puddle and then the car comes through and just splashes it all over him. Play. Or was it? No, it's Hansel that goes by on his little moped, right? Yeah. And, we came in like halfway through. Okay. Man, thank the Lord. Because if you guys, if I had to like suffer a church that doesn't know Spinal Tap or Zoolander, the 11th anniversary might have been the last one. <laughs> when Moses asks this question, who am I? It's not this kind of introspective, like, you know, I'm, I don't know who I, you know, it's not this kind of, uh, you know, question of identity or this, this crisis of like, oh God. What Moses is asking is a question of calling right? Who am I? I would say a a really good modern example to think about Moses's question here. And we've all, I don't know if you guys, I've been watching a lot of news in in regards to what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. And I think about the leader of Ukraine, right? And the leader of Ukraine, um, Vladimir Zelensky, is, is this kind of who am I moment, right? Do you guys know, we know the history of this guy, right? He was a movie star that played the president and is now the president, right? So imagine you're this guy right now, and I would imagine he's having a couple moments of like, who am I to stand up to one of the world? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a year or two older than me. I, if, if I, at the moment, had the weight of leading this small country up against one of the world's superpowers... And it's really a question of calling, um, like, like, who am I, right? This is the question that Moses is asking. Who am I to go up against Egypt? It's not, again, this question of like, who, it's not the Zoolander moment of who am I. It's this real question of calling. Think about Moses' life, right? He's a shepherd, not very exciting, not very powerful, not very influential. He's a nomad. He really doesn't have a home. He's in exile. He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. So when Moses asks this question of who am I, it's a question of internal inventory. And, and really, a lot of times I would say this, in our world, this needs to be a primary question that we come back to in our lives. Even in our church, like we think about this church and we ask this church, who am I? Like, like who are we? That God, you would place us in this location to serve this neighborhood, Right? It's humbling, it's self-reflective, it's an examining posture. And I would say this when I think about this question that Moses asks, is we need the time and the space to, to come to grips with this question, right? A lot of us live, and I don't want to just go into the busy, hurry, police, but we do, we all know this, that we need to slow down, we need a little bit more time having those moments, I can't imagine this guy, how fast life is moving for him, but having those moments as we think about and we come before God and say, God, you've called me to lead my family, 
to lead a church, to lead a business, to lead an organization. You've called me to be a light into this world. And I would imagine a lot of us kind of go, who am I, right? Who am I? It's that humbling, internal inventory. It's our honest, self-examining disposition in this world, right? And again, we'll come back to this. As Jesus gives us these I am statements, I want to come back to this. Who am I, right? Um, Then what's fascinating about God's response to this is God's response to this is I will be with you. Um, One of the commentators point out that I will be with you and I am, right? Because when God says I am in verse 14, right? That's the kind of when we can know that, that I am moment. The commentators point out that I will be with you and I am, it's, it's in essence the kind of same phrasing they share the root words. So when God says, when Moses asks, who am I? God doesn't, God doesn't just say, well, Moses, let me tell you who you are. What's fascinating is God does this is God does not speak to Moses' identity. He speaks to his identity, his presence, right? It's not about who you are. It's about my presence that is with you. Um, We talked about this a couple weeks ago. One of the dominant narratives of this world is expressive individualism, right? Where your highest goal, your highest achievement in this world, in this life, is to fully express your individualism however that is, right? The the highest social ethic, the highest personal ethic is just to you be you. Like if there is a phrase that says what our world believes at the moment or what the modern West believes is you be you and that is the greatest thing you can do, right? When Moses asks, who am I? God does not say, well, Moses, yeah, let's talk about who you are and your gifting and your talents and your strengths and all that stuff. God says, no, 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 you will understand who you are by the reference point of me being with you, right? By me being with you. It doesn't really seem to matter one bit who Moses is, because when you look at who Moses is, it's not all that great. But what Moses says, or what God says to Moses is like, that's irrelevant. It's my presence that is with you. I will be with you. And again, in some senses, his very name, then again, the name of God indicates or expresses presence, right? Um, one of the commentators I was reading uh, had this great, this great comment about this, this little passage. Let me share this with you. He says this, he says, we admire Moses for his humility. For 40 years before, right? Think about Moses as the prince of Egypt. For 40 years before, he would have told God who he was, right? Instead of, you know, coming to God and saying, who am I? He would have been like, God, let me tell you who I am. I am the... He was learned and mighty in words and deeds, but years of communion and discipline in the desert had humbled Moses. A person acting in the flesh is impulsive and sees no obstacles, but a person humbly walking in the spirit knows the battles that lie ahead. God's reply was to assure him, I will be with you. Again, the name of God in some senses, I will be with you. This promise sustained him for 40 years as it later did Joshua. Who we are is not important, right? 
you being you is not important. That God is with us is important. For without him, we can do nothing. Brooks, did you get that? Good. It's important for Brooks. Um, Isn't that great to think about? So much in our lives, so many dominant narratives, so many cultures. You be you, you got to do this, you got to express yourself, be, be your fullest self, maximize your potential, do this, self-help this. And it's just like, and it's just in this moment, God's like, that doesn't matter. Like your reference point in this world should be my presence that is with you. In good times, in bad times, ups, downs, lefts, rights, at all moments, that is your reference point. The, the preacher... The itinerant preacher, good old John Wesley, right? Man, this guy, they say he traveled maybe 250,000 miles on the back of a horse in England, cruising around. They say that he preached in his life about 40,000 sermons. I got some work to do ahead of me. Uh, And he was only 87 years old when he died on his deathbed, right? As he's passing away, his words, his final words is that the best of all is God with us, right? The best of all is, think about the things you would say on your deathbed, the best of all, John Wesley, this preacher in England in the 1700s, 250,000 miles around on a horse preaching, 40,000 sermons, all of that distilled down to this moment, the best of all is God with us. Who am I? God responds to us, I'll be with you. And then he says this, and then the next question he gets into in, in verse 13, you know, again, um, Moses says to God, okay, God, I'm going to go to the Israelites and tell them um, that the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they're going to ask me, well, what's his name? Right? Then what should I tell him? Right? So he's like, well, well, who are you, God? I know I've used this quote before from, from Andrew Murray, but we will, I'll say this again because when, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us, right? It's the most important thing about when you just close, again, I don't know, close your eyes or you meditate or you're thinking about God. What comes to mind when you think about God? And maybe this is just kind of me and my personal, um, my personal kind of understanding or thinking of God or how God works. Um, Nancy, you a good girl? Okay. Okay. Um, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And a lot of times when we think about God, I just know this from, from, from being a Christian and talking to people and counseling people. Most people, they have this understanding of God that he's distant. He's far. Here's my, another great gift. Just sign, This is like God to them, right? Like God's like, oh, oh boy. He's distant. He's generally disappointed in us. We're in some sort of performance for him. If we let him down, he's just ready to ridicule us. He's ready to, you know, the the American idol, the Simon Cowell, is really a lot of people. That's who they believe that God is, right? This is why I've, I've, we just spent weeks and weeks and weeks. Who is God? God's right here. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit welcoming us to that table. Nothing we've done to deserve it, right? Who am I to sit at this table, right? 
And God says, I speak my presence, my witness over you. Come, sit down with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of the universe, right? Come, sit down. This is why we spent so much time thinking through the Trinity, because we have to understand God in these terms. If the most important thing about us is what we think about God, then we have to think about God rightly. God, who are you? Right? And then what God says, what he says there is he says, I am. Right? And again, this phrase, I am, I want to explain it in a little bit. I, Jesus rounds it out in such beautiful language with the seven I am statements of Jesus. Um, but you won't see this phrase a lot in the Bible. This is what you'll see in your Bible, and you probably saw this in, in 314. Capital L-O-R-D. Anytime you see that in the Bible, it is, it is a reference to I am. So in, in the Hebrew on the left is these three Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H, right? We can't pronounce that in our language, right? Like if somebody said, hey, Y-H-W-H, pronounce that, you'd be like, oh. you can't. so we added the two vowels in it. That's where we get the name Yahweh. I'm sure you've heard that a lot when you listen to your old U2 albums. Um, that's where we get the name Yahweh. Brian, good, good reference. Yeah. Aaron Cook would be really. This is what Aaron Cook. For... Good morning, Isan. Um, the the Hebrew letters, um, actually, the way that they are pronounced, Yod Hey, Va Hey, right? Again, this is all kind of the ways to say, to say Yahweh. This is used over six thousand times in the Bible. We have the parade of the handsome young kids headed out to the park. Give some waves. Um, this is the phrase that you'll see again and again and again in the Bible. This, this kind of capital L-O-R-D. Um, I think I want to just say one more thing, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one I want to finish with. Yeah, I got, I got some other stuff, but I just want to end here. We started at the at the very beginning where we talked about names um, names kind of being placeholders for us in our culture, right? Chris, Liz, Wendy, Brian, just kind of placeholders. You could be Paul, and you could be Sally, and you could be um, I'm trying to think of a good name for you, Cindy. You could be Frank. <laughs> They're placeholders. In the Old Testament, names did not just kind of be placeholders. They had, they had significance. They had weight, right? And one of the commentators, I really liked the way that they, they again, name in quotation marks. How, does, how do you, would you understand I am? They made it a whole sentence of someone's name. Imagine your, your name was a whole sentence. That's kind of something probably Elon Musk would do for, for their, his child. I am, they said, I am he who truly exists and who will be, I love this phrase, dynamically present. Then and there into the situation I am sending you. God, what's your name? And God would respond to you and say, I am he who truly exists and who will be dynamically present then and there into the situation I'm sending you. Again, 
going back to this, par this, this, this paradigm, and we'll, we'll continue to, to use this. Again, who am I? Right? God responds by saying, I am with you. And we ask God, we say, God, but who are you? And God responds by saying, I am he who truly exists and who will be dynamically present and there into the situation I am sending you. And that was as relevant for Moses, walking around in the desert of Midian, walking on the mountain of Horeb as it is today. God speaking to you, whatever it is, right? Wherever you're at, I am he who truly exists and will be dynamically present then and there into the situation or into the situation I'm sending you. I don't, I don't do this very often. I found a, a poem that I thought was, was, I really liked it. And I'm not, you know, you guys kind of know me. It's not something I normally end my sermons with a poem, but I want to read this poem and then we'll just do a few minutes of discussion. But here's, here's the poem and we'll end the sermon time with this. Uh, a lady named Helen Malakote. Uh, I was regretting the past and fearing the future. Suddenly my Lord was speaking. My name is, I am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regret, it's hard, I'm not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future, with its problems and its fears, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it is not hard. I am here. My name is I am. It's the name of God. It's the name that is with us. It's the name that sustains us. It's the name that Jesus uses again and again and again in the Gospel of John to signify who he is. Perfect. Right. So, let me close this in a word of prayer and then we'll do a few minutes of discussion. And Lord, maybe just to combine, not, not combine prayer time, not in a, just in a cheap way, but you know, all, this, all these things that we carry with us and to think of you, the I am, who is dynamically present into all situations that God is sending us. That's what we need. That's why we're here to experience the presence of God that is dynamically with us here in this moment. Not to worry about the future, not to obsess over the past, to be present in this moment with the name I am, the one who exists, the transcendent one, here and now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time to remember who you are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, just a couple questions for discussion. Is there an, maybe Anne, is there an I am of Jesus that you are looking forward to most and why? If you want to think about those, I can throw that, those I am's back on the screen. Uh, which question was more thought-provoking to you? Who am I or who are you? Why? And then which answer was more thought-provoking to you? I am with you or I am. What does it mean to have God with you right in this moment?
if none of those questions really make sense, you could also just debate the, ba the top 20 or the top 10 baby names of 2021 too. So... Take a moment, and if you need to get up and kind of move next to somebody or, or, or chat with somebody, that, that might be helpful. So let's do a couple of minutes of discussion.